millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back. Coming up on this week's show... Turner quits the Champions League. Fox lays off soccer producers in cost-cutting measures. MLS tournament to play during Florida's rising COVID numbers. First impressions of NBC's new Peacock streaming service. Be in sports, blacks out Serie A broadcasts in 35 countries. Plus, we have letters from you, the listeners, in our mailbag section. I'm Christopher Harris, a.k.a. The Gaffer, joined alongside my co-host, Kartik Krishnaya. Kartik, welcome back, and what an episode to come back on. You took a break for a couple of weeks, and uh, anyone that's been following you very closely uh, has, has kind of seen the updates uh, from Florida as far as all the uh, the COVID numbers and the stats, but anyway, what an episode to come back to. Uh, this this might be a two-hour special. Yeah, so much going on in the football world and in the, in the world of soccer media, and uh, the restarts in, in uh, all the European leagues, all the major European leagues outside of Germany, which obviously had already started, and France, which uh, aborted their season. So, uh, kind of a soccer overload week, to be honest with you. Yeah, well, so let's start with there, too. So, we've got a lot of news to get to, so we'll get to that in a little bit, but um, lots of matches. I mean, this past week, I probably watched... Uh, whoops! <laughs> watched, watched about sixteen or eighteen matches. Just watching probably three or four games a day. Um, it, it's been intense. So I've seen a lot of football. But what for you has been your favorite match that you've watched uh, this last week? Oh yeah, it was Atalanta Lazio yesterday on uh, ESPN and uh, Mark Donaldson and Matteo Benetti. So you have your you have your top um, your top your top uh, commentator uh, crew. On this match, it's a match between two top four clubs. Lazio is uh, on the doorstep of, of challenging Juventus for the title. They get out to a two-goal lead. Atalanta, as they always do, is playing open. They're playing uh, free-flowing football. The first Lazio goal, which happened in fifth or sixth minute, was uh, on an own goal on a, a counterattack where the retreating uh, Atalanta defender unfortunately got a touch on a cross and put it in the back of his own net. Uh, but then Atalanta fights back, and they get a goal back before halftime, and then they score twice in the second half. And it was just back and forth, really good football, uh, just a phenomenal match. And, and um, maybe we'll get into this when we talk about what we watch. But for whatever reason, and I'm not alone, I, I thought maybe it was just a, a very isolated opinion, but it's not, as it turns out, from judging by Twitter and talking to some folks. Italy has, has restarted, Serie A has restarted, and the product has looked more like 
the product was before COVID than the Bundesliga, Premier League, or La Liga. And, and I don't know, uh, I don't have necessarily an explanation for that, but we can uh, we can talk that through. Yeah, I saw. Um I'm not well. You, you might be right on this one, Carter, because you've watched more Serie A matches than I have. I watched the Coppa Italia semi-finals uh, right before the uh, Serie A uh, came back, so a few days before. And, and those two semi-finals I watched um, a lot of missed chances, a lot of um, players that were not razor sharp. Um, it, th- that seemed very kind of very 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 below par. It seemed very much uh, players not at that fitness levels quite yet. Now I've watched a couple of Serie A matches since then. I watched uh, Milan against Lecce, which was kind of a really one-sided game. And uh, I, I did watch the Atlanta uh, At- Atalanta Lazio game at the same time as watching Liverpool against Crystal Palace, and I had it on two screens. And was trying to keep on keep in touch, or kind of trying to watch both of them at the same time. And any listener who's tried to do that, you know how difficult it is. And I was paying more attention to the Liverpool Crystal Palace game, uh, just because of the um, the title implications, and, and also seeing, you mean, uh, you mean Liverpool at their top, which has been been a little while since I've seen that. Um, and I saw the goals flying in, but um, but yeah, maybe you're right, Kartik. Maybe. Well, what does that say about the Premier League, though, too? Because the Premier League, from what I've seen thus far, and it's starting to get a little bit better, I think, uh, as far as the games go and and, um, the levels of playing, but it's still not there yet. It's still, you can see that the players are not uh, match sharp and um, technically not that good. I mean, there's been a few goals of... uh, wonder and excitement but for the most part the Premier League seems to be slower in in picking up and and getting back to the levels that they were um, before COVID. Yeah I think part of that has to do with the lockdown and the severity of the lockdown in England versus the other countries. Now everybody had a had a horrible lockdown situation and initially early on in the COVID crisis Italy was the epicenter in Europe then it became Spain Uh, but I think also, people in, in England tend to live in smaller homes, maybe don't just have a garden. They don't have a, a place to walk about. I'm not, maybe I'm just searching here for explanations. But And then England's case count began to increase a, a little later uh, than, uh, than in Spain and Italy. Now, by a little later, I mean just we're talking about weeks, not months, right, uh, obviously. Yep. But I, I, I completely agree with that. I think the Premier League matches that I've watched have looked labored. They've been pretty slow. Uh, there have been I, – I hope – and people who follow me know that I, I often say the Premier League has a lot more bad giveaways than uh, people want to want to uh, say it does because of the entertainment value. But the bad giveaways have been more noticeable in uh, in the Premier League th- this past week than I think any time in the past. Now, here's maybe the real kicker. We're used to really uh, active and engaging crowds in England. We're used to really active and engaging crowds in Germany. Spain, not as much, but in Spain, we're used to there still being some kind of crowd influence. Italy, quite honestly, we're used to watching matches where, okay, if there's a crowd, they're behind a track, they're not very vocal, or we're people like me are mentally tuning it out because it's it's the Lazio ultras or the inter ultras and it's these these really kind of uh undesirable elements in, in supporters groups so i think Serie A playing in front of empty stadiums is not it's not <laughs> a big it doesn't seem as abnormal as those other leagues playing in front of empty stadiums if that makes sense yeah no that's a good point it's not as drastic because uh 
what we heard before, unless you were playing in front of, um, you mean, in, in Juventus' new stadium, um, which is one of the exceptions. But for the most part, the, the crowd is usually pretty subdued. Even in the uh, yeah. the, the um, San Siro, sometimes at times during some games, it's pretty, it's background noise, but it's not really uh, front and center. But, but but that's the thing about the Premier League, though, too. I mean, obviously, I, I love the Premier League. I love watching it. I uh, love the history, the tradition. I mean, some of these clubs... And but it's not the same without without the fans and the atmosphere, and where the Premier League really is kind of really f- kind of specialises in what makes the Premier League different. Uh, when you watch a game, is usually the speed of the game. It's re- re- usually pretty fast and reckless. Second, it's usually pretty physical, and then third, it's the fans and the atmosphere, the crowds, the singing, the banter, the back and forth, and. Without that fans and atmosphere, what you get to really focus in on then is just the technical, uh, what you see in front of your eyes. You watch that more closely, and it has exposed some of the technical limitations of some of the teams compared to... Now, I've been watching last week or so, I've been watching a ton of La Liga, and even the clubs, I don't know, uh, Villarreal, Valladolid, uh, Granada, some of these teams are definitely less glamorous. Some of these teams are fantastic in terms of just how good they are technically, some great players. And I'm not seeing that with the Premier League, especially the clubs in the bottom half of the table. It's very mediocre um, for the most part. So I'm so glad you mentioned that because one of the things that has frustrated me to no end on Twitter, and my followers know this, uh, for the last five years or more is the number of fans of the Premier League, particularly American fans of the Premier League, who say Spain is a two-team league, and more recently they've said it's a three-team league because of Atleti, and none of the other teams could be competitive in the Premier League, and uh, it's a joke beyond that. And I keep pointing out to them, if you watch a match in Spain and you see the way those teams retain the ball and are able to move the ball around, I think most of them would be very successful in the Premier League. And it's a, it's a matter of style, it's a matter of tactics, it's a matter of kind of football. But so so many of the Premier League fans, and again, I think it's more American fans than fans across the globe, only know one type of football, which is Premier League football. And because a game is slower and more technical in Spain, or maybe they're not watching at all, but but if they are, because a game is slower and more technical, they assume it's inferior. And that's just not the case, particularly with La Liga. I think, and I will go again on record saying this, I think top 10, top 12 teams in La Liga could all hang in the top six in the Premier League. Um, but, but, but that's the thing... And, but, no, go ahead, go ahead. But, but that's the but, thing but that we don't really know because this, the style of football is so different, right? But but that's the thing that too with, with La Liga, the Bundesliga, I would include in that too, and Serie A. Those are leagues that are more for the purists. Those are the leagues that are more right. the technical, very very superior, I believe. And uh, the 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 Premier League really is for the mainstream, and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, with with the Premier League. But there is a an allure, an allure about the Premier League that you don't get with other leagues. There's almost like a force that makes you want to know how the Premier League teams are doing, what incidents happened in matches, what managers said. And if you don't know what's happening in the Premier League, some people would think, okay, what do you know about soccer? It is the go-to league that pulls you in. And if you're not watching the Premier League, you mean, for a soccer fan, it, it would be kind of a, a strange, like, why aren't you watching the Premier League? Because everyone else is. 
Yeah, there was there was somebody who commented on my Twitter this week who I know is a big soccer fan, watches MLS, uh, watches the Bundesliga, uh, I think is into La Liga also, that told me, oh, I haven't watched the Premier League in years, and I turned it on, and it was, you know, it was basically, it was horrible. Uh, <laughs> is this the, what's been happening in the league, et cetera, et cetera? And I was surprised because this person is active on Twitter, is a soccer fan, that they hadn't been watching the Premier League. And, and I know it's a person that comments a lot when I put out Bundesliga or American soccer tweets, and I thought about it. I'm like, yeah, I guess that person hasn't interacted with me on the Premier League in some time. But um, I, it was so weird to me because I assume that's like the default for everybody. And that assumption, yeah. I guess, sometimes is wrong. Although the TV ratings tell us it's basically right, <laughs> of course. Well, well, that's the thing, too. We'll get in, more into that a little bit later in the TV ratings because uh, that's the thing is that the TV ratings are not – I mean, the people are not watching the, the purest soccer leagues. They're watching the leagues that uh, – well, I think at the end of the day, Kartik, I, th- I was thinking about more about this this morning before the podcast. It comes down to what team do you support? I mean, what's your number one team? And and for me personally, and, and it's the same goes for you, the listeners, is the team that you, is that you support the most, because some of us have more than one team that we support, but the, the major team that we support, that's what we gravitate to. So for me personally, I mean, a Swansea City fan, seeing Swansea play uh, on streaming, watching that live last weekend... It made my whole weekend. I was so happy. So I mean, they won, which always always helps. But just to see my team playing back and watching it, it was an incredible experience. It had been, what, three and a half months, almost four months before I'd actually seen them play uh, previously. And, and, and I think that's the thing, though, too, is that when you think about soccer fans around the world, but, but for this podcast, mostly in the United States, is what team do you support? What's your number one team? And that's what you gravitate towards. And, and you might watch some of those other games in that league because they have, uh, you mean, there's implications on, on your team. Um, but but that, that's, the, that's the pull. That, that's that really kind of what pulls people in. So it's not that um, people don't watch La Liga because of whatever reason. It may be that they don't have a La Liga team that they support. And, and I mean, to me, to me, that's that's I mean, it's an obvious thing, but it, it is. I mean, and we'll, and we'll see in the TV ratings a little bit later. It has a huge impact. What team do you support? And, and then you mean with those numbers, obviously, the bigger, bigger clubs have the bigger number of supporters. And usually those clubs have, have bigger viewing figures. There's also curiosity about certain certain prospects and aspects. You know, I'm I'm a bit of a maybe not so closeted anymore Everton fan, even though Manchester City is my club. There's always been kind of a sister club thing between City and and, and Everton. For those who don't know history of the game, you know, even people like Howard Kendall and Peter Reed and so many players who who, who played for uh, both clubs through the years, including uh, Adrian Heath, right? Who I think everybody yeah. in American soccer knows. Uh, and they were always the second kind of people's club in the two great Northwest. Western City. So I have an interest in Everton. And, you know, I'm not watching the Premier League at all, Chris. I'll admit it this weekend. I'm watching Serie A. I'm watching La Liga. I'm watching the Bundesliga. All right. Obviously, Dortmund Leipzig was a big game that, that I watched start to finish. And Everton's playing. I'm curious about Ancelotti and this 4-4-2 and, and, and the, the work that's been done. I get, I, I even post for all the people who are following me for COVID information and, and political stuff. Hey, guys, next two hours of soccer, I'm watching Everton. Um, and so, yeah, you're right about that. And it was, again, it was the Merseyside Derby. I wasn't, I wasn't going to miss it. I was in, incredibly motivated to watch it. Um, and, and on that match, um, by the way, I think a couple, couple things. One, um, it, it, hearing Arlo White, he, he's um, 
you know, he, he mixes some really good statistical analogies. And, you know, he brought up Paul Rideout's goal at Wembley in 1995 uh, in the FA Cup final, last major trophy ever since won. He does some really good stuff during these broadcasts. And then he brings up American sporting analogies, right? Uh, which I think, in my mind, have no applicability to what's going on on the pitch. Um, so that's kind of the good and bad about him as a, as a, as a commentator. Uh, and in that match, I thought it was, uh, it was really interesting to see um, a derby at Goodison without the fans, Chris, mm-hmm. um, I think may have helped Everton and they were the better team and they should have won. Uh, there wasn't the sort of kind of pressure they f- that they normally feel because they haven't beaten now Liverpool since September or October of 2010. I think it was October of 2010. And uh, they've got, even played in cup matches. So that's more than t- that's 20 matches or so that they played that they haven't beaten them. This was the kind of freest I had seen Everton. You know, they were they were playing without fear. Now, maybe that's Ancelotti. Maybe that's Ancelotti now having some time on the training ground without matches um, post-COVID, post-COVID lockdown in, in – uh, in by say by post COVID, I mean in the UK, not in the US, obviously. Um, right. But there was something about them not having a crowd, and I wanted to mention this this morning, Chris. That maybe clubs that have um, historically been snake bit. Uh, another one to look at in the uh, in Spain would be Valencia. Mm-hmm. Because Valencia has always had this this love hate relationship because they have such a such a passionate uh, supporters base that that sometimes the pressure is too much. Um, but I felt like Everton played freer in this match and should have won. They should have gotten all three points of without um, without a crowd at Goodison. Yeah, quite frankly, for, yeah, for sure. And and looking at my notes from the game, I, I wrote. Uh, I mean, I usually write notes uh, before the podcast. Um, and he's, I wrote, I can hard, hardly hear the crowd noise, virtually non-existent. Player voices are more easily heard. And, and, and that's, that's one good thing about this match. I mean, the, the match itself was pretty boring, uh, I thought. It was, it was a poor first half, and the second half wasn't that much better either. Everton should have won this match, definitely, and they played exceedingly well. But... Um, and 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 the, well, I do a spoiler here. I mean, the, the number of viewers who watched this game in the United States was 1.2 million people, which is a huge number. I mean, and, and that's something that uh, going back to the crowd noise for a second, though, too, is just that um, I guess the Premier League has figured out. I mean, how to do it? I'm still not that happy with it. I still think the Bundesliga is much better, um, but they figured out something in between where okay, it's not it's not hideous. And it's uh, not too obnoxious. It's kind of like in between, and you get to hear the players more easily. The one thing that, when, when watching this game, Lukatic came to mind for me was that, um, and this is this has got very little to do with this game. But how long has it been since we've heard a John Champion commentary? And and, and this was a game that I, I I missed John Champion. I mean, obviously John Champion doing the, yeah, the Premier League last Am- season, but it's Amazon. been. I guess if you have Amazon, well, if you in the US, Prime in the UK, yeah, in the US, I mean, uh, MLS matches, right? We, we Which would have been a lot of them in the MLS's back tournament. Uh, but the 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 thing that I also want to mention then on that score is uh, we've gotten into a point at the prim- with the Premier League with John Champion now uh, in the US doing uh, US based games that. Uh, you either have a match called by Peter Drury. There's, like, there's a class of commentators. It's Peter Drury and everyone else for me now. And uh, again, it's when Drury calls a match, I, I, I take note. I'm listening to the commentary as much as I'm watching the match. And he and he's guiding me through the match. I think with yep. other commentators that are still calling Premier League matches, and this is not a shot at anyone. 
but this is just uh, I, uh, more praise for, for Dr- Peter Drury. Um, they're calling the match, and it's kind of you, 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 the commentary is nice, but you can live without the commentary. If Drury is calling a match, as he was um, the other day with with Spurs West Ham, right? Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I'm I'm drawn into that commentary. And I'm I'm listening to him, him as attentively, and whoever his co-commentator is, as attentively as I'm listening to, uh, as a, attentively as I'm watching the match. So, um, that's something that I think has happened over the course of the last few years, as as uh, you've seen uh, um, the the the, the uh, so many of the commentators that we kind of got accustomed to around the league, the John Champions, uh, the Martin Tyler's, Martin Tyler does fewer matches now, uh, the Ian Darks, and. Uh, uh, so, so many other uh, commentators mm-hmm. that uh, we were accustomed to. Rob Hawthorne's another one. Um, they, they'll come to mind as we keep going through the show. I don't want to, I don't need to name them all, but right. uh, I think you know what you get my point. Yeah, well, that's the thing about the Bundesliga. I've got a, a newfound appreciation for the Bundesliga and, and the level of their uh, world feed commentators. I mean, it's fantastic. I mean, that, I mean that's one, one takeaway from the Bundesliga being um, where they had a monopoly on soccer for about three to four weeks is, is the Kevin Hart Hatchards or the Phil Barneys and uh, the Lutz uh, Fannenspiel Stiel, etc. I mean, some really, really good commentators and... Um, yeah, yeah. With with the Premier League, I missed John Champion. I guess the last time I heard a John Champion call would have been an MLS game on ESPN, and so maybe the first week of the season. It's been so long. Yeah, I don't know. I I miss John Champion. Now, if you would if you'd watch some of the classic Premier League matches on NBCSN in the middle of uh, all of this, more often than not, John Champion was calling them. It was pretty unbelievable. The ratio of John Champion to non-John Champion was probably one to one. Half the games that they showed, <laughs> so you would think it would be Martin Tyler, right? If you're thinking historically, yeah. who would call most of these big matches? But it was actually John Champion, I guess, because they were taking the international feed, right? If they were taking the yeah. Sky feed, it might have been different. But um, that, uh, so, so I, I have gotten my fix of John Champion, and obviously, when the MLS's back tournament uh, begins. Um, if it begins, you know, uh, as people who follow me know, I, I've been almost solely obsessed with COVID numbers in Florida for the last three weeks. And uh, while well, I haven't been on the show and um, I'm, I'm very alarmed by it, but we'll get to that later. But if it does begin and, and, and conclude, you'll hear a lot of John Champion, I'm sure, during that tournament. So one more thing before we go to the news, and that is um, this past weekend was a historic moment so to speak, for the Premier League and NBC Sports in that uh, they had their first game ever uh, shown on Peacock, which is the new NBC Sports, or actually new NBC streaming platform uh, that's uh, scheduled to launch uh, to the general public on July 15th. So the game was uh, Bournemouth against Crystal Palace. It was the the late game on Saturday. Uh, All the games that are available on NBC Sports Gold are available on Peacock. And uh, so I, I'm a Comcast uh, subscriber. I, I get my internet through Comcast. I don't have uh, cable television through them. I've cut the cord, so to speak. I still I still need them for the, the for the actual internet service, though. They got me there. But with with the internet service, um, if you do subscribe to um, Comcast, you can get uh, they give you a free flex box, which is a, a streaming over the top uh, streaming device. So I said, okay, well, if it's the Premier League, I, I had held off on actually getting this, but because of the Premier League, I said, okay, you know what? Let me go ahead and get it and see what, what it looks like. Uh, hooked it up. Uh, you mean, was able to uh, log in, 
hooked it up for the game and had a chance to, to poke around a little bit with uh, Peacock just to kind of get a feel for what it is. And um, as soon as the game was over, I uh, unplugged it, put it back in the box and, and, and stowed it away. It, it, it really is just um, a dumb device. It, it's, I mean, you can get your free... A lot of the free channels are out there. The free movies are out there. Pretty much every streaming device now, or streaming like Tubi and others, have this whole huge archive of uh, free, um, mostly movies, and then there's ads on it. And with Peacock, they have that, but you can also add your Netflix onto there. Uh, you can add some other your other streaming devices too. It's meant to be kind of your go-to streaming device, but to me, uh, Roku is a million times better as is a, an Amazon Fire TV stick. And that's what it's trying to replace. It's trying to have, it's trying to have that object uh, you mean, next to your television set and, and have that rather than the Amazon Fire or, or the Roku. But, um, yeah, was not impressed. And, uh, but I think the future is going that way. I think it's, you'll see more and more games uh, available uh, through Peacock. And I guess we'll have to wait and see about next season um, if, they're, if they're going to increase that number. But... NBC is pushing Peacock big time. So, so yeah, they are, and I was very frustrated by this specific game because this specific match. I, um, like I said, have been focusing on Serie A, Bundesliga, La Liga over the weekend. Uh, but David Brooks is back, and he was arguably probably one of my top five favorite players in the Premier League the previous season when he was fit. Right. So this is his first match back, and I'm I'm excited. I'm like, okay, I am, and it was later, so I am going to watch Bournemouth. Palace and didn't even think. I assumed, okay, I know um, the the West Ham match. Uh, West Ham Wolves is on uh, on NBC, so uh, the the two forty five match or three three o'clock match Eastern time that'll go back. That'll that'll be on NBCSN. NBCSN and there's some other sporting event on. And then I realized, oh my goodness, that's right. Rebecca Lowe did say that earlier in the day, right? When I was flipping channels, right? Like I said, I was focusing on the other leagues, but I would flip occasionally and check out the Premier League. Oh my goodness, I'm not going to get to see this match. And I was excited about this match for one player. Um, so, no, I have not seen David Brooks in his return. Uh, Bournemouth's not playing well, right? And the Ryan Frazier situation is, it has intensified their problems. But, uh, I missed the match that I was going to watch because it was on Peacock, and I do not have Comcast, so it's not available to me yet. Right. Yeah, the, the, the only way you would have been able to see it, it is to subscribe to uh, NBC Sports Gold. And um, pretty much, I think up until now, I think I've, I've refused to do that. I think maybe, maybe – maybe, no, actually, I just subscribed for Hello? a little while. All right, Kartik. Let's move on to TV streaming news, and I'll have you kick it off. Yeah, I think as everybody probably by the time they listen to this podcast knows, TNT has opted out of its uh, three-year contract to cover uh, UEFA club events, the uh, Champions League, uh, etc. And uh, this uh, this means that the tournament resumption of both Champions League and Europa League, which are going to happen in August, are, uh, are now uh, as of... Now, not on U.S. television. Now, uh, Chris, obviously, there are any number of things that can happen. I don't anticipate it would not be on U.S. television, uh, but Turner has opted out of their deal early. And I, I guess there was a trigger in their contract where, that they were able to exercise uh, to do this. Yeah, well, well, that's a strange thing, too. Speaking to sources within the business, um, they were saying it's really strange and very rare that you, you'd have a uh, an opt-out clause like this, that uh, a broadcaster could say, you know what I mean, 
during any stage of the tournament. Uh, eh, we're not going to show any more of it. Uh, thanks, but here you go, UEFA. You can have it back. That was very strange. So I'm not sure if there were... That doesn't make any sense at all. So I don't know if, if Turner was a little bit lackluster or a little bit uh, uncertain about the Champions League anyway and, and wanted to the lawyers wanted to ha- insert that clause just in case it didn't work out but um, yeah what it means for listeners and, and what it means for viewers in the United States is that um, we don't know yet who's going to show the English language Champions League games uh, for the remainder of the tournament which begins in um, early August, and that'll be both the Europa League, which is, I think, the round of 16, second legs, and there's a there's a couple of, uh, I think, round of, round of 16 legs, two, actually four games in the Champions League before it moves to the quarterfinals. So for the rest of this season, so for August, and most of the finals, I mean, the finals for the Champions League and the Europa League are at the end of August. And then for next season, next season right now on the English language side, we do not know who's going to broadcast those, because... Turner Sports has quit the Champions League. Um, it'll go out for bid. I'm sure that UEFA has already started discussions with the ESPNs of the world, the, the CBSs of the world, maybe even the Foxes of the world, um, maybe even NBC, etc. The thinking is, is that this makes total sense for CBS, if they're ready, to go ahead and begin uh, with the, the Champions League I mean, a, a season early, and uh, they may not be quite ready to go in. I mean, kind of uh, full steam ahead with a studio and those things, but at least for the, you mean the, the actual rest of the this season's Champions League and the Europa League, maybe they can put that on um, CBS All Access and maybe a couple of those games on uh, CBS all, uh, over the air, and use mostly the world feed so that uh, at least they have something there, and it's maybe not 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 the not the finished product, so so to speak. And then to focus this summer for I mean, the, the month or so that they, they'll have uh, to work on it to focus on their coverage for next season and, and then build it up from there. But we don't know. It, 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 could go, it could go a whole bunch of different ways. But what we do know is that Univision still has the, the Spanish language rights. And, and really, this one, to me, uh, says a lot about the mistakes that Turner Sports have made since day one. The, the mistakes they made was that they didn't get the Spanish language rights. So throughout this whole Champions League uh, under Turner Sports, I mean, we could go to, you know, sometimes Univision have the game over the air, Frida, uh, Unamas, Tudorene, etc. So whether you speak Spanish or not, you could easily find the Champions League on the Spanish language side. And those numbers have been huge. And I'm sure Univision was celebrating on Wednesday when they found out this news because this really solidifies their spot as the go-to place for the Champions League. And for the English language side, for, for Turner Sports, um, it, and actually it's not, it's not just Turner Sports, though. it's Turner Sports and Bleacher Report. But to me, it's... Um, just a, a catalogue of huge mistakes that they made. And towards the end of the coverage that they were doing, it got better when they f- they figured out, okay, let's just do one studio. Uh, let's figure out all the problems with BR Live and let's fix those. And I think they were finally getting to a point where they were you know, starting to actually do some good coverage and learning from their mistakes. Uh, but at the end of the day, Kartik, this this is really kind of a black mark on, on Turner Sports and Bleacher Report. This is not a, this will not go down in the history books as a, as a success. This will be a failure, a huge failure. 
Yeah, and obviously Univision is the big short-term beneficiary. I said earlier American television. I meant American English language television. Uh, Univision, a lot of us have already started watching more matches on Univision. I have uh, in the last two two seasons. But I thought Turner's best hour was probably the last hour, ironically, that they had the Champions League coverage, which was a, a studio team. Uh, of Kate Abdo, Stu Holden, uh, and, and, and company, uh, Moadu, after the uh, Liverpool-Atleti match, um, as COVID was beginning to, to, to strike Europe, as there was uh, uh, positive reports coming out about players, they did a really good job that day, that Wednesday, that final Wednesday in which they covered Champions League. And I thought, okay, maybe they've turned a corner. <laughs> and it turns out that was the final time they would broadcast uh, the competition. So, so the question has to be asked, why would Turner Sports and Bleacher Report do this? Why would they quit on the Champions League uh, and not fulfill their contractual obligation And uh, at this stage in, in the actual contract? And th- th- there's two reasons, really. I think the first reason is that they uh, – and actually, just, just to backtrack for a second, um, in February and March, I, I went up to Atlanta, so I, I got a – behind-the-scenes uh, tour of the Bleacher Report studio, the Turner, Turner studio, where they did the Champions League, and spoke to a lot of the executives and sat in, in some um, uh, discussions with the executives to learn, to, to find out more about them. And and that was the, kind of really, for me, it was a really, um, the light bulbs went off in terms of, they were upset. They were really, really upset about losing the Champions League rights. And they were upset because... Um, they had only been into the current cycle for just over a season. So basically a season and a half into the current three-year cycle. And they found out that they had lost the rights. They put in a bid, but they had lost the rights to CBS, who put in a much larger bid. So they were pissed. They were angry. They were upset. They were disappointed. And it's all those things combined. It feels a little bit childish, a little bit petty, that they've decided to rather invest any more money into uh, broadcasting the Champions League for the remainder of this season and next season. It's almost as if they're kind of a spoiled child and they're just kind of throwing the toys out of, out of, the, out of the, uh, the carriage or the pram. And there's a little bit of that feeling. But the second part of it, though, too, is I think it's more of a business decision, is that I'm sure they were looking at the end of the, the, the rest of the season and, and next season and going, OK, how are we going to make any money off this? I mean, we could go ahead and put all the games on streaming, maybe on HBO Max, which is their new streaming product, or maybe BR Live. But, but BR Live is getting um, wrapped up and, and going to be put inside the Bleacher Report app at some point in the near future, probably this summer. And I think they were looking from from it from a business point of view and probably thinking uh, with everything going on and, and the amount of money that they have to spend on talent, etc., and the Champions League, anyway, is a tough product, a tough competition to sell to advertisers because those Heineken ads you see, those Pepsi ads that you see, those are ads that they make no money from. Those are ads that uh, Heineken and Pepsi and other um, uh, advertisers do a global deal with UEFA. And UEFA says to broadcasters worldwide, if you want to show the Champions League and the Europa League, you have to put these ads into into the, into the coverage and you will make no money from those. So it limits the amount of money that uh, a broadcaster such as Turner Sports can actually make off it. And with Bleacher Reports, maybe they thought with BR Live going away soon anyway, 
maybe it just didn't make the, the financial sense uh, to continue this. And it's rather than to go ahead and fulfill the contract, I think they felt, okay, eh, we don't really care about this product anyway. anyway we've lost it. Why put more, any more resources into this? Let's just give it back. Yeah, one, one last thing I want to say is this this demonstrates the trouble with the three-year right cycles of UEFA and a lot of uh, a lot of leagues uh, of, of soccer leagues around the world that uh, and the Premier League does a three years right three-year right cycle also they well, just six. never had a case like this yeah what, well, what, six, uh, six years for uh, NBC Sports for NBC but it's three years in domestically Most, and it's generally right. been three years yeah. uh, in the US until the NBC thing and and we don't know if the next right cycle will be three years or six years uh, in the US but um, this shows you the trouble because you're putting the uh, a tender out for bid at the beginning of the second season. Now, I, guess, I suppose it still could have been later and Turner could have gotten through most of this year before they knew that they had lost the rights if it had been done differently. But this happened to Fox also. Remember, Fox was in yep. the uh, middle of their next to last season and we didn't uh, – UEFA didn't officially announce it, but you and others had reported, Chris, at the time – Turner had gained the rights, I think, a full year and a half before they actually assumed uh, the the rights. So mm-hmm. this is a this is an issue with three-year rights cycles. And um, broadcasters uh, uh, who, who uh, throw a petulant fit, as Turner appears to have done here, um, I, I don't like it. But at the same time, I think I can understand it because it is so difficult to then assume the rights for a property, um, have a season where – Admittedly, things didn't go very well for Turner, but you, you know you, you, you're trying new things. It's it's a completely new sport for you to cover, um, and you're figuring things out. And by the time you you really begin to figure things out, guess what? It's back up for bid. That's difficult. Yeah. So the question now is that uh, you would think that CBS would go in and say, "Okay, CBS is going to say, hey, we can start a little bit earlier than we originally planned for." And uh, we can probably get, I would think, the the UEFA Champions League and Europa League at a um, a lower price. That that sh- it should be. I, I don't think there's too many broadcasters that are going to be willing to pay a lot of money for this because whoever it is, say say it's a say it's Fox. Say Fox uh, says, okay, we want to have the Champions League, but it's only going to be for a few games in August, and then it's going to be for one season. That has very little. Um, value to Fox or any other broadcaster. For CBS's value in terms of just being able to start things up sooner, we know that the CBS All Access, uh, which is going to uh, appeal to soccer fans beginning this weekend with the NWSL Challenge Cup that begins Saturday and goes through for a whole month. Uh, and here's another opportunity for CBS All Access to say, hey, not only do we have NWSL, but starting in August, you mean, uh, hypothetically, we will have the Champions League and the Europa League. Go ahead and watch it and, and uh, continue the su- the summer of soccer. And then for next season, you can watch it there too, as well as maybe some of the games, maybe the final and some of the big games on, on CBS uh, over the air. But I would, I'd imagine that CBS would get a bargain on this. Um, I don't think, I don't think there's too many broadcasters out there willing to, you uh, mean, anyway, unload a ton of money, even a DAZN which DAZN has money. Uh, they want to get into the, really the, the U.S. market uh, outside of just boxing and, and fight, fighting. Uh, this is an opportunity. But again, for one season, is it really worth it? I mean, what, is it, what, is it what does that give you? Um, but yeah, I hope CBS gets it. And uh, this gives CBS an opportunity to really um, 
really for, for a lot of viewers on the English language side to really save the Champions League, to save the Europa League, to go ahead and, and give it some love and uh, to broadcast it because not everyone will watch. Uh, Spanish language broadcasts. Uh, I mean, nothing against Univision, but some people prefer to have the English language broadcasts. So CBS, this is a huge opportunity. And uh, if you get it, best of luck to you. All right, Kartik, speaking of uh, television, streaming, and all that business, uh, the second piece of news in the TV streaming news segment uh, is that Fubo TV has signed a carrier distribution deal with ESPN. This is huge news because this really puts uh, Fubo, um, they were already on the map before, but this really p- puts them in as the, the number one uh, sports streaming platform in the United States. So beginning this summer, and we don't know what the date is yet, uh, hasn't been, to, been announced, but customers who subscribe to Fubo TV's uh, Fubo standard base will have access to ABC ABC News Live, Disney Channel, Disney Junior, Disney XD, Freeform, ESPN, ESPN2, ESPN3, and a whole bunch of other other channels too. And um, there will also be some other packages available, uh, including Out of Market for SEC Network and ACC Network, ESPNU, ESPN News, ESPN Deportes, and more. So uh, this deal includes both live television and video on demand. So this is ex- excellent news. The only thing I'm concerned about here, Kartik, is the price point because um, Fubo already is, what, about $54 a month, uh, has a ton of channels, a ton of uh, you know, almost everything except for ESPN. And with this deal this summer, I mean, what does that price go up to? Do they bring it up to $65, $70 a month? And still that's cheaper than cable, for the most part, but uh, is that going to scare some people away? It very well could. I think ESPN uh, is uh, one of the things that has scared people away from cable, yeah. if I'm honest with you, because they, their, their carrier fees are much higher. Uh, and so uh, people don't realize that. I, they, they haven't consciously said, oh, gosh, I don't want to pay for ESPN. Uh, they, they generally want ESPN. They don't realize how much of their cable bill is ESPN. So. Uh, let's see what where Fubo's price point is after this. Although this is great news for Fubo because now they can give you essentially a complete package. Yeah, yeah, they would have everything. I mean, even the Univision and Tudo NA channels, which are uh, which Sling TV doesn't ha- doesn't have. Uh, neither does YouTube TV. Uh, YouTube, YouTube TV doesn't have Bein Sports, which Fubo has. So Fubo would have everything. It's just uh, what is that price point? And, and for some people, maybe $65 a month or $70 a month um, would be fine to get everything, where you, except for ESPN+, Plus, except for Netflix, except for CBS All Access. I mean, that's the thing. We can put, keep on adding all these streaming services on, which, which I have no problem with because I, I love to have the, the choice of being able to watch when I, what, what I want, when I want, on whatever channel I, I want to. But... Um, it, it does definitely add up. It's still less than cable. Oh, my gosh. It's it's a crazy world that we live in. Anyway, so sometime this summer, those channels will be added to Fubo. Next up in the uh, TV uh, streaming news segment, Kartik, is some big news for Major League Soccer. The MLS is back tournament, Chris, uh, has been announced. The, the full TV schedule, the full schedule of fixtures 
and a lot of interesting matches that are going to be on ESPN or uh, a few on Big Fox, FS1, uh, Univision, etc. Uh, but this uh, tournament is going to be taking place in Central Florida amidst rising COVID numbers. Uh, the numbers uh, have spiked in Central Florida over the course of the last few weeks. And let me dispel some um, some of the pushback I keep getting when I report these numbers uh, on Twitter and uh, on my website, the Florida Squeeze. One, positive test rates have gone way up uh, during this period. In early June, I think it was June 2nd or 3rd, the top positive test rate, Chris, in in Orange County was 1.4%. Uh, yesterday, which was Wednesday, we're recording this on Thursday, it was close to 20%. Okay. The second point is that the number of available hospital beds have has gone down uh, fairly dramatically in that same period in Orange County, which is where Orlando is. And the third point I'd make is the median age for newly infected uh, COVID patients or COVID cases has gone down to around 30 years old, give or take a, a year or two uh, on a daily basis. It was in uh, the 50s earlier in the pandemic had dropped into the 40s. So younger people are getting infected, more people are getting infected, and a larger percentage of people who are feeling sick enough to go take a test are coming back positive. In the midst of all this, MLS has gone forward with their decision to play in Orlando. And lo and behold, at the very same time, Chris, and this is significant, obviously, NWSL, uh, you mentioned earlier, the Challenge Cup starts this weekend, and that'll be on CBS and, and the ramifications for Champions League, et cetera, with CBS. One team has had to withdraw completely from the Challenge Cup, which is the Orlando Pride, who had 10 positive tests, six among players, four among staff. They are not even going to travel to Utah for the resumption of the NWSL season or for the NWSL Challenge Cup. So um, pretty dire situation here in the state of Florida with COVID. MLS says they're in a bubble, Chris. They say, uh, although Garber has now conceded cooks and, and stuff, we're going to come in and out of the, the complex. But I, I just think there's too much risk in this. If they pull this off, great. Because I have to tell you, I think the tournament is a really cool idea. And I'm looking forward to it from a soccer standpoint. But um, there's just too much that can go wrong, given the situation in Central Florida. Uh, but they, obviously, they're not going to abort now. So we've got to just keep our fingers crossed that nothing happens. So, so playing devil's advocate, though, Kartik, on this one is that uh, if they're inside a bubble, you mean, and all the, the players, the coaches, all the support staff are you mean uh staying true to all all the different guidelines and uh not going out of that bubble and every, being tested um every so often you mean is that okay i mean does does that have any implication should they still go ahead and and do it if everything is contained within the bubble and that's the best way that they can do they can play this tournament without any issues um that's a good question because, yes, in theory, they should be fine if everybody stays within the bubble. But I have too much experience in the sport to believe that everybody's going to stay in essentially a lockdown state. And Disney itself, you've stayed in Disney hotels. Um, I don't want to say it's like a prison, but you seem very isolated, right, mm -hmm. when you're on the Disney uh, uh, property and premises. I, it only takes a few uh, players saying, you know what, let, let, let's go out for a night on the town. And Orlando is a kind of a legendary party town in the state of Florida, which I, I think everybody knows, um, which is reportedly what happened with the Pride, right? Some of their players went out and that's what happened. They went to bars, um, etc. It just takes one set of disgruntled players, let's say even two weeks into this, three weeks into this. It may not happen right away. Um, 
and uh, the whole thing falls apart. So, yes, in theory, it could be okay. I think in actual practice, it's going to be very difficult to keep everybody onside, disciplined, and uh, locked down for uh, – now, obviously, there will be some teams that, that, that are eliminated and leave, right? Yeah. But um, uh, the teams that are, that are more successful keep everybody locked down for what will essentially be, including the training, um, the pre-tournament training, six or six and a half weeks. Yeah, it's a long time. It's a very, very long time. So fingers crossed, hopefully everything is, everyone sticks to the guidelines, everyone stays in that bubble, and uh, the tournament goes on as planned. As far as the TV schedule goes, um, I should have looked at the numbers, but the vast majority of these games are going to be on ESPN. And uh, I mean, it it might be like, I don't know, over 60% of the games are on ESPN. Um, There's one game on Big Fox, Fox over the air, which is the uh, New York Red Bulls against Atlanta on uh, July 11th. And that's going to be in prime time, um, an 8 p.m. Eastern broadcast. And uh, there are some of the games on FS1 and some on Tuduene. But again, the the large majority on ESPN. And, you and should mention, go sorry, ahead, go ahead. Chris, but uh, those of you who are not familiar with the weather in central Florida, it's hot and it's muggy this time of year. So uh, they've launched this concept called Breakfast with MLS, which will be on ESPN during the group stage, 9 a.m. matches. So the matches, uh, the first set of matches each day is at 9 a.m. The second set of matches is at 8 p.m. That tells you how how rough the weather is um, in sounds, this part of the world. It sounds like Wimbledon, though. Breakfast. Yeah, uh, yeah. Breakfast at Wimbledon. That's where they obviously they lift yeah. from there. But, but, but having lived in Florida, I, I still live in Florida, and you two, Kartik, and, and having gone to Orlando, which is the hottest part of the state with yeah. no, no breeze, even the 9 o'clock Eastern time game in the morning is going to be hot and humid and uh, is going to take the toll on the players. Even the games at 8 p.m. Eastern and 10.30 p.m. Eastern, even with the sun down and uh, the humidity is going to take a toll on players. Um, I mean, we've seen all the water breaks that we've seen in the Premier League, which has really slowed the game down. It's been very stop, start, stop, start, especially with the the, the number of injuries we've seen, uh, Arsenal in particular, but... um, I'm not expecting the quality level to be that good, Kartik. I'm, I'm expecting it to be slow and laborious games I, with players dealing with, with the heat and humidity. I've been in one of these matches. So we had a U.S. Open Cup match, um, and it was a year for Lardo actually beat Orlando City in the Open Cup and beat D.C. United. Um, but we our, our first match, it wasn't the first round, right? Pro team, we got to buy our first match. Because of a venue availability issue, we had to play it at uh, 10.30 in the morning, uh, which... Uh, it was impossible. It was horrible. And the game went to extra time <laughs> and um, and then went to penalties. So um, it, it was uh, the players were literally dropping dead and we didn't have a you didn't get an extra substitution or fourth substitution in those days. Uh, it, it, it was um, an experience that the players that were involved in that match still talk about as being kind of the worst conditions they played in. Now, granted, that was an hour and a half later for the start time and an hour and a half hotter and it got increasingly hot and we had extra time and penalties. None of these group stage state uh, matches in MLS is back are going to have that. But, um, 9am is still pretty hot. You're right. And, um, you're, you're, you're forecasting to like 10, 10, 30, 10, 45, uh, it's going to be really hot and it's going to be very, very difficult and muggy. Uh, all these matches are on ESPN, which is a positive for, for MLS, but um, I am not sure that people watch live sports or at that time on weekday mornings. Uh, though I will say, I think the 8 PM 
uh, time slots that they have, a lot of those matches on ESPN is going to be very favorable. It'll be an easy, easy thing for us to look at in a couple of weeks and see whether this tournament was successful or not. There should be a bump in overall television ratings based on that time slot. Um, I guess we'll know in a few weeks. Yeah, well, the nine, the nine o'clock one I think is favorable because uh, you mean it's a, a Premier League uh, friendly kickoff usually, uh, or you know, or, or, or Serie A, or some uh, the, the German league probably the German league and the, uh, the yeah, Premier League. Yeah, it's close to Bundesliga. Yeah, but with the the Premier League playing most of their matches now at like what one p.m. kickoffs and uh, three fifteen kickoff Eastern time, so most of those are in the afternoon. So it does give an opportunity that gives us a window for Major League Soccer to go ahead and take advantage of that. Having a game on big ESPN, the main the main network, uh, they could do pretty well on this. So, but the thing about ESPN though with this Kartik is really, to be frank, ESPN is bailing out Major League Soccer on this one because I don't think that a a Fox or or even a Tudo Na or any broadcaster could uh, go ahead and, and put on a a tournament like this espn is doing all the production work um it's their facility the espn uh, wide world of sports uh it's their property it's their bubble it's their bubble with with the uh being owned by disney and having the disney hotels uh nearby and having the swan and the dolphin and being able to bus the players to the games and all the security and all these things no other broadcaster could do this and not only that though but the tv coverage is going to be completely produced by ESPN. So they're going to be the, the host broadcaster. And then Fox and, and Tudo NA will take that uh, ESPN host broadcast feed and will add their commentators probably remotely. Uh, even ESPN's commentators, I think John Champion and Taylor Twelman, are expected to be remote on this one too, uh, giving the commentary and uh, adding the graphics on the screens, etc. But without ESPN... I'm not so sure that this tournament, any tournament for Major League Soccer would happen. And um, and with ESPN's expertise in broadcasting and in production and in soccer, I'm sure that they'll do the best that they can with what they have. But I'm curious to see what this is going to look like because, again, it's wide open park with I mean, 20 fields and concerns over the audio and what what it's going to look like and also the playing level. But I will watch this for sure and uh, and hope that they pull it off because it, it's going to be a huge undertaking. This is going to cost them, I mean, ESPN, millions of dollars to actually to pull this off. And they're going to go in, as you can see from the TV schedule, they're going all in to try to make this uh, into something and to make it a success. And I, I hope that uh, it is successful. The other thing about this too, Kartik, is that with so few games on Fox, I mean, at the same time this week, we heard uh, that um, Fox had layoffs over 20 uh, people, mostly in the production staff uh, area, including one of the top soccer producers um, at Fox Soccer. And they're going through some tough times. Um, I understand that uh, NBC Sports, too, uh, is also having layoffs. And it's tough time in the industry. But um, you have to question with Fox um, losing the Bundesliga, and um, getting rid of a lot of the production staff and um, really, for the most part, other than Major League Soccer and uh, the FIFA tournaments, really being, being out of the soccer game. So um, I wonder and I question Fox's um, how much of a prior- priority soccer is um, to them for the future with them really, really kind of making a lot of um, pullbacks and, and layoffs and cuts. 
right, Kartik, so uh, moving on to one more news item, and that is that BN Sports has shut down Serie A broadcasts worldwide in the regions where they have the rights. BN were, uh, or BN were enraged when Serie A gave uh, the Saudi Super Cup rights in 2018, and also a lot of uh, Serie A clubs have been playing games in Saudi Arabia. And of course, for a lot of our listeners, we know that there is a, a political uh, battle between uh, Saudi Arabia and Qatar. And uh, this is one of the uh, the results of it. Um, in response um, to this going on with Serie A, that BN Sports now has their coverage of Serie A blacked out in 35 Asian and Middle Eastern countries. And uh, and from what I understand, too, is that uh, BN Sports is saying that they're not going to pay Serie A uh, for the rights to these games that they have. So uh, not a good time to be Serie A. Not a good time to be being sports, and being sports really are going uh, all all in on this whole uh, fight against digital piracy. But it seems to be that for the most part, they're on their own in this one, and this is a huge. You mean I'm sure if if you're Serie A or if you're another broadcast another league around the world, you're looking at this pretty close and saying, "Okay, hey, this could be my league." If uh, you mean uh, in the future, so it'll be interesting to see what happens on this one, Kartik. Yeah, it will be. I, I think this battle between Saudi Arabia and Qatar is really affecting football in so many ways. Uh, broadcast television, obviously, with uh, Be Out Q and, and, and Be In Sports, but also uh, even the, the hosting of, of, of uh, Super Cups and, and things like this. So uh, it's uh, hopefully the political situation gets resolved quickly because I don't think it's been good for football. Yeah, the, the other thing, one more thing about this, too, is that um – Saudi Arabia, I think it's KSA Sports, which is the kingdom of Saudi Arabia, is also looking to uh, take away the Bundesliga rights from being sports uh, in certain countries too, I believe, pro- probably the Middle East and, and um, in Africa also. And so Saudi Arabia is looking to potentially you mean, start launching their own uh, television networks and just again, it seems to be in spite, just trying to battle Qatar. Uh, and using sports as leverage and, and trying to manipulate things in their best interests. It's it's a really messy situation. And, and of course, money talks. Uh, both uh, the, the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia and uh, Qatar have enormous amount of uh, petrodollars. So this uh, this is unfortunate. This is something we would not like to see. All right, moving on to TV ratings, Kartik. Uh I mentioned it. I, I, I gave the spoiler, but the the big one was Everton against Liverpool and NBC on Sunday. A rare uh, game that was on in the afternoon or, or mid afternoon uh, Eastern time. Also on Telemundo too. And uh, the viewing number for this game was one point two million viewers. Uh, overall, for the first weekend of the Premier League being back in action uh, since the restart on US television, some really strong numbers. Uh, West Ham against Wolves. This was on NBC and Telemundo. That was uh, 830,000 people. Aston Villa, this is the one actually probably I thought that was the most impressive out of all the numbers I saw. Aston Villa against Chelsea on NBCSN on Sunday. This was the 11.15 a.m. kickoff Eastern time. Uh, Also on Telemundo too. 785,000 people tuned in for that one. Christian Pulisic, you think Kartik? Yeah, I think also uh, these time plots were helpful, actually. Uh, but yeah, Pulisic, I guess, helps uh, on the uh, on the Chelsea thing, and obviously he had a, a, a an impact when he came on in that match. Uh, 
But uh, the Liverpool-Everton match, I would say, has to do really with a time slot and shows the potential of the Premier League as they negotiate new TV deals and perhaps open new broadcast windows uh, in the mid-afternoon U.S. time. How, how many viewers might be willing to watch a match? Yeah, and one of the questions that came up on Twitter that uh, was mentioned, um, I think it was Soccer Thoughts, I think it was, wanted us to talk about um, how these numbers are looking now um, now that the games have restarted, these leagues have restarted, and how did they compare to beforehand? And I would say that the, the, the big number, the, the Everton-Liverpool, the 1.2 million, is probably just about right in terms of uh, where that would have been even before um, all of us, uh, before COVID. But um, the other numbers are bigger. The other numbers, the, the, the West, well, they actually, the Aston Villa against Chelsea number, the 785,000 people for that one. Uh, the Friday number, the Spurs against Man United on NBCSN and on Universo, 575,000 viewers for that on a Friday afternoon. Um, those... 518 for Man City Arsenal, which I know you discussed yeah. last week, uh, is huge uh, for Wednesday afternoon. I mean, just compare that to a Champions League broadcast, right? Uh, it, it, because that's that broadcast window, and the uh, the Villa Chelsea, yeah, is higher than. So the number we usually get from those Sunday morning 11:30 a.m. type kickoffs, and uh, it used to be 11, now it's 11:30 a.m. Eastern time, is generally between 4:50 and 5:50. So this was uh, 7:85. Yeah, that's that's much higher. Yeah, yeah, and again, we'll find out more of these numbers soon, and we'll have them all at WorldSoccerTalk.com. Now, the the one that got impacted the most by these numbers, Kartik, was the Bundesliga. And I think it's one of those things, and we've—I mean, I, I know I've always said it too—that the Bundesliga is a great league. I, I love watching it. I love the the clubs and the way that this league is run, and the, and the talent level. But the, at the end of the day, when the Premier League comes along, people gravitate to that and will not be watching the Bundesliga. And and we saw with the Bundesliga when it had no competition that the numbers were roughly between three hundred and four hundred thousand people watching that on English language television. Plus, plus the Spanish language, it ended up being about 500,000 in total, which is great numbers for the Bundesliga. Now that the Premier League has returned and now that La Liga has returned, the numbers from this past weekend um, with an asterisk because Bayern Munich has already won the title. and um, But RB Leipzig against Borussia Dortmund on FS2 on Saturday was 67,000 viewers. And then Bayern Munich against Freiburg on FS1 on Saturday at the same time was 65,000 viewers. And, and to me, personally, that tells me that uh, that's pretty much the hardcore Bundesliga audience is you're talking, I mean, I mean maybe double that. So maybe you know, 150,000 to 200,000 people are, are interested in the Bundesliga in this country versus, say, the Premier League, which you're talking about anywhere from... At a low point, probably half a million to, I mean, a couple of million or a few million, depending on, on what game it is and, and who's playing at the same time. Are you disappointed by those numbers, Kartik? Uh, yeah, I'm also disappointed that Fox showed Bayern and Freiburg on FS1 and the bigger match with uh, second place on the line between uh, Dortmund and Leipzig on FS2. And the FS2 number, this is a rare maybe the first time it's happened in, in the five years Fox has covered the Bundesliga, the FS2 number was actually higher than the FS1 number, which yeah. shows that they made the wrong selection of match. Yeah, and even for this weekend, which is the, the last day of the regular season of uh, the Bundesliga, uh, the FS1 game that they've got scheduled, I think, is Wolfsburg against um, Bayern Munich. And um, 
I, the, we have the TV schedule at worldsoccertalk.com. But, but anyway, they always put Bayern Munich at FS1 guaranteed in that spot. You wonder, I wonder if it's contractual because it just does not make any sense. I mean, they've already won the title. Yes, they have a big fan base. And yes, we see that the numbers on FS2 are actually greater than FS1, which says a lot because FS2 numbers are usually abysmal. Um, yeah. yeah, I wonder if there is anything contractual there where they have to put Bayern Munich in that slot or if, they, or if it's just more of a, you know, I mean, some, uh, somebody thinking like, oh, you mean Bayern Munich's going to get the most number of viewers no matter what. Well, that's not the case in this point. All right, Kartik, listen to Mailbag. I, I know you were away for a couple of weeks, so we've got a lot of comments from this past week from people. First up is Tim Murphy. Tim says, curious if your fine website has a regular listing of English Premier League games that are available in 4K. DirecTV has at least three channels devoted full-time to 4K, and they regularly carry at least one Premier League match per week in 4K. With the return of the Premier League last week, I noticed that the Man City against Arsenal game on June 17th and the Spurs-Man United match on June 19th were scheduled for broadcast in 4K. Well, Tim, I do not have a direct answer to that question. I do know that... uh, DirecTV and Comcast Xfinity uh, both have some games, and it's not a lot, but they have some games in 4K uh, through those uh, TV providers. So I think on the uh, Comcast website, there's a page that lists the the games that are coming up that are going to be in 4K, and the same with DirecTV. So if you're a DirecTV subscriber or a Comcast X1 subscriber, with a 4K, a 4K television, um, and you might have to have a 4K package on top of that too. Um, definitely check out those um, those pro- programming guides. That's probably the best place to check because uh, I could have the listings on worldsoccertalk.com, but there's so few games um, and there's so few TV providers that offer the games in 4K that uh, at this point it doesn't um, uh, make sense at this point. Next up is Disco George. The discussion on the podcast about MLS's approach to the MLS is back tournament reminded me of something that was brought up about MLS on TV a few podcasts ago. Your argument was that most MLS teams have no identity and you used uh, Real Salt Lake and Sporting Kansas City as an example of something that wouldn't catch the interest of the country at large. The thing is, if the league office didn't equate identity with TIFOs and 50,000 attendances and actually tried to develop some of the stories around Major League Soccer, there are narratives out there that could attract audiences. Real Salt Lake and Sporting Kansas City have one of the few organic rivalries in the league, one that has been built up over years between both the players and the fans and encompassed controversial endings in both regular season and playoff matches. But since it doesn't have a cute rivalry week name and there are no big name foreign stars involved, the league and its TV partners just pretend like it doesn't exist. So the old trope that the smaller clubs are all the same and never do anything interesting continues to prevail. Kartik, uh, what's your take on this? Yeah, I I think that that's true that uh, that they do have a rivalry. It's been developed one because Colorado, which is the team geographically in between them, have had not many 
active fans and have uh, at times not been very good. Uh, <laughs> to be perfectly blunt about it, and even when they are good, it, they're just the Rapids are just kind of there. Um, but I would equate this more to like the rivalries in England and in Germany that happen because teams are in the same relative bracket and have uh, a lot of uh, uh, controversial games or, or just uh, some some big uh, matches with with huge implications. Salt Lake and uh, Kansas City, particularly it, in the era when. Uh, Christ and Lagerwey were still at RSL and uh, Vermees. Well, Vermees is still managing Kansas City, but uh, that early part of the 2000, 2010s, there were some really epic matches. The rivalry I compare it to, I guess, is Sunderland and Coventry in England, a rivalry m- many people don't know about. Uh, but they were always kind of in the same bracket for many years, whether they were in the top division or in the second division. And they were an incredible amount of coincidences where they played in critical matches or one of impacted the other's survival or promotion. Yeah, I think uh, if I remember correctly, it was uh, JP Manning that got really upset with me on Twitter about about the podcast we had a couple of episodes ago, a few episodes ago, where I mentioned San Jose. Uh, oh, actually, I don't think I mentioned San Jose, but JP uh, brought up San Jose as an example. And Sa- San Jose has a very rich history um, in my actually even before Major League Soccer um, and within Major League Soccer, but it's a, it's a team that uh, from last year's TV schedule, uh, other than the games, the Cali Classico games, um, which are like what twice a year, I, I think there was zero number of games from San Jose that were on national television. So it, going back to Disco George's point, it, it is a valid argument: is that, uh, that there are these teams with interesting histories that have interesting backstories that have um, both on and off the pitch that have great stories to tell. I'm not hearing them. I'm, I'm, I mean, when I tune in to watch a national broadcast and it's usually what LA galaxy against uh, NYCFC live from Yankee stadium. I'm like, Oh my gosh, come on. Not again. But I mean, to me, I could literally spend about 30 minutes. I mean, take any, any team from, the top two divisions of English football, I could spend the next 30 minutes talking about, pick any one team, about that team, the history, the um, the city that they come from, and the traditions, and the, I mean, the cups that they've won, or the, the types of players, the, the, the play, the way that they play the, their football, is, which is different than others, uh, intertwined with politics. We could, we could do a whole show on any of those clubs, but seriously, I mean... And I, I know a lot about soccer, but I'd be hard-pressed to spend five minutes talking about Real Salt Lake or Colorado Rapids or Sporting Kansas City and, and giving anything more than five minutes of information because, I mean, I think MLS does a really poor job of communicating that. And it's mostly the television side. So if you go to the website, um, I'm sure there's a ton of information there, I would, I would imagine, I would hope. Um, but on television, it's just really... I mean, if those teams are on national television, it's it's a rarity. Um, Sporting Kansas City is probably the exception there, but for the most part, um, those other teams are ignored. It's really as a, as if they don't exist, which is a shame. Uh, next up, JP says Nick has been a nice change of pace, filling in for Kartik. Nothing against Kartik, but imagine the, the discussion about the ESPN and Fox squabble and production costs would have turned into a Fox bashing session for being too cheap and not caring about soccer. Nick actually pointed out ESPN's projections may be too high, and given the probable ratings, it 
wouldn't uh, it likely wouldn't uh, be able to be recouped anyway. Fox is being prudent uh, regarding MLS versus European leagues. Yeah, I'm sure most would choose La Liga most of the time, but most of the time they don't directly compete with Major League Soccer time slots. MLS's competition is other US sports, as Edwin has already commented. To beat a dead horse, EPL and other European leagues would see a ratings dip if they directly competed with US sports time slots, as seen when NFL is in season for afternoon matches. I'm not sure, sure I agree with that, though, Kartik, because, I mean, and that's the thing we will never know. We will never know what uh, the ratings are like for Premier League games uh, during prime time on US television. The closest we can come to it is ICC. And um, depending on which summer of ICC you look at and look at some of the, the games that were shown in prime time, uh, some of the numbers were huge. Some of the numbers were big numbers. Uh, some of the numbers were small. It's just... Uh, I don't know. It, it, again, again, it, too, it also depends which teams there are. So if it's a Man United against uh, Chelsea in an ICC game, uh, as opposed to, um, no offense, but Everton against, uh, I don't know, LA Galaxy, I mean, the numbers are going to uh, vary drastically because of the, the size of those fan bases. We, there was a game, Everton, LA Galaxy, right? In, yeah. In, uh, yeah. We went to that match. Yeah. You and I in were Miami. there, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'd forgotten about that. <laughs> you said it, and I thought, oh, that's a ridiculous example. But yeah, there was actually an ICC match between those two teams. Yeah, I think that that's absolutely right. But I, I, I also think that what we have found is that if events are on ESPN, there just seems to be a credibility about them. And I, I can't explain this among. Uh, and it comes from a lot of soccer fans who are also fans of other American sports. There's a credibility that Fox doesn't have. I mean, I guess uh, NFL fans tend to like Fox, but there are people who complain to me honestly about Fox coverage they, since they started taking, they took over the U.S. Open rights in uh, in golf, the USGA rights. People complain about that. They complain about their coverage of college basketball. They complain about their coverage of Big Ten football versus when matches are on ABC or, or games are on ESPN or, or, or ABC in, uh, in, in that uh, conference. So I think the Fox thing is pretty universal. Um uh, quite frankly, I think they've made improvements in soccer. I think they've done a lot better the last few years than they were several years ago. But it's still not at the same standard as ESPN, in, in my opinion, and in the opinion of many others. Well, that's the thing, too, about the whole um, discussion about the production costs and how much a Fox broadcast of a Major League Soccer game compares to a ESPN broadcast of an MLS game, too. And, um, I mean, Fox is, I wouldn't say cheap, I mean, like prudence is probably a good word that uh, JP mentioned, but it's a lot less than what ESPN is spending. So either ESPN is spending a lot more than they should be, uh, or or, or maybe that that is the the, the real legit number and, and that's an accurate number of what it should be. And then uh, Fox for the, for a same game is spending fifty thousand dollars less, um, and maybe the scale the, the, which we've seen actually from a lot of the the Fox MLS broadcast they scale back a lot. They don't have um, as much maybe talent or as much people kind of in the stadium, it, it, you can definitely notice a big difference. 
But 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 going on to the next comment, which uh, segues perfectly into that from Turfit. Turfit says, "I'm not a fan of Fox, but 125,000 dollars per match is outrageous for production costs. When a lot of these matches will be lucky to get 125,000 viewers, especially on FS1. Cost of productions should be lowered since it's all in the same location. Coming off a lockdown, how will they recoup money from advertisers?" Articles that I have, I have seen state most businesses are cutting back on advertising to recoup money they have lost during the lockdown. Next year or two may be bad for leagues that are renewing their TV contracts, and MLS is one of them. And also the next year or two will be hard on broadcasters that are tied up in overpriced contracts with leagues if they are not able to keep their sponsors. Yep, uh, that's... Uh uh, Turfit, you're you're spot on. I, I, this is a uh, piece of analysis I've been uh, uh, sharing myself with with several of my my friends privately. Uh, absolutely right. Yeah, yeah, I, and that's the thing that too. I mean, the world has changed. I mean, going back to the Turner comment too about I mean Turner uh, quitting on on the Champions League. I'm sure a lot of it was from the financial aspect of it. They were looking at the budgets, going okay. Uh, we're contracted. We're obligated to, you I mean, spend this money in the next uh, twelve months, and looking at the advertising, looking at the dollars coming in, um, can we break even? And we, are, are we going to lose money on this next twelve months, or say thirteen months of the Champions League and Europa League? And is it worth it? Should we just pull the plug now? And I'm sure that that was part of the. Uh, the reasoning why they considered doing that and ultimately decided to go ahead and give it back to UEFA and let UEFA deal with it. It's not a good place for any broadcasters at this point. I mean, I mean, so many of them have had, have had layoffs. So many of them have lost money. So many of them are in, in a tough spot. And um, a lot of these contracts are worth, I mean, hundreds of millions of dollars, if not billions of dollars. And, for whatever reason, again, going back to our very earlier point a couple of hours ago, UEFA and Turner agreeing, that the lawyers agreeing to have an opt-out clause in there to allow uh, Turner Sports to go ahead and just pull out without any contractual uh, you mean, uh, it, it, uh, issue in there you mean, to stop them, prevent them from doing that. That's really strange, and um, I'm sure UEFA is probably regretting that right now. All right, next up is... Addition by relegation. I'm a teacher, and thus off right now. I'll watch the 9 a.m. kickoff games, but few others will. Robert says, maybe I'm naive in my support for Major League Soccer. Being a football snob who believes watching what they consider the best football is not going to help build football here. I have seen some terrible games watching the EPL and La Liga. So, Nick, watch what what you want. Uh, but your opinion is meaningless as far as I'm concerned. On a different topic, you could sure see the difference between the Bundesliga and the, the Premier League games. Dortmund looked really good. Leicester versus Watford and Arsenal versus Brighton were fairly poor games. Leicester better get, better get it together if they want to stay in the top four. At least Arsenal continues to look like a bottom 10 team with all those millionaires running around uh, looking so overpaid. Next up is uh, Shane Rowe. Shane says, I hate to be a contrarian, but I'm sure many other people hold the same sentiments. I don't think I can watch football until stadiums can use their capacity. The virtual attendance gimmick is an insult to football values. Fans have to be in attendance. It's a community game. The viewing experience is just horrid. The lack of physical fans just makes broadcasts incomplete products. 
And Kartik, um, with, with you not being on the podcast for the last two weeks, um, if you had to rank the crowd noise slash virtual fan experience for the leagues that you've seen so far, uh, who would be number one, two, three, and four? Well, the Bundesliga would be one. Um, the Premier League would be two. I, I, I would say that uh, when you're talking about this, though, I'd go back to the point I initially. Serie A seems more normal because we're not used, with the exception of the, 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 the new Juventus Stadium, as you, as you mentioned, and, and a couple other places. Laverno Times has had uh, really good atmospheres, etc. Um we're not used to having great atmospheres at Italian at Serie A matches. We're used to just having to watch the football. And sometimes watching the football isn't satisfactory when the competing league has great uh, ambiance, great kind of color around the match and uh, great football as well. Now, with all those things having been eliminated and nobody has has actual crowds, uh, Serie A is holding up really well compared to the other leagues. So I think maybe they're the big winner in all this. Um, so I would say in terms of the, 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 the foul, foul crowd, crowd noise, yeah, uh, and pumped at the broadcast, I, I give the Bundesliga the nod on that. But I think overall this whole idea of closed-door uh, stadiums, and again, it's early, and, I, and I, I take your point on those Coppa Italia semifinals. They weren't very good. The, the final was better. Napoli mm-hmm. played really well in the final. Yeah. Um, that um, the Bundesliga, excuse me, Serie A is the big winner of this week because uh, it seems like it's more normal than, than – and the football has been really good too, but the, it's yeah. more normal than the other leagues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a good uh, good point there, Kartik. My, my four – and I, I may have changed this since last week, but number one would be La Liga. And, and, and when it initially launched, I didn't like it. It was, it was like, oh, my gosh, the crowd noise is just so subdued. It's so mellow. But it made me think about it, too, because most of the crowd noises in La Liga are mostly mellow. It, you hear the buzz of the noise of the crowd. Uh, and unless it's, uh, I mean, Real Madrid or if it's... Uh, Valencia is the exception. Valencia, yeah, or, or sometimes Atletico or sometimes Athletic. I mean, they, 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 but for the most part, if it's a Villarreal game or something like that, it's more of kind of a mellow noise and you hear a little, little bit of noise. And and that's what we get from the um, the artificial crowd noise with La Liga. And it seems to be, and I can't guarantee it, but it seems to be, the virtual fans where they have the uh, they've painted the seats virtually in all of the La Liga games uh, that seems to have improved uh, week by week. So the, as far as the way they've designed it and spread it out a little bit and watching a game and not seeing the empty seats, um, I think subconsciously and consciously makes it more appealing to me. So I think they've got the right balance in between those two. Uh, the Bundesliga, I'd put number two, um, excellent crowd noise. Um, the empty seats is kind of glaring, but it's reality. And then I think number three would be probably Serie A with a total silence. Um, but I mean, it is what it is. That that is reality, right? And then number four is the Premier League, and the Premier League is just that the crowd noise is just so disappointing for a league that has one of the best crowd noises, other than the German league. Um, it's just a lot of nothing. It's just, it's just. I mean, and and they've topped off the bottom sections. Uh, I thought Man United, Old Trafford, the way that they topped their sections off and had some of the messages there. And I thought Liverpool, um, those were better. But um, not big fan of the tops overall. All right, what a crazy world we live in, Kartik. Last uh, comment. This one's from Raymond Orozco, and this one's definitely up your alley. Some people complain about the lack of different champions 
in the top European leagues, and this is coming from Raymond Rosco. And but what what this really is is a direct result of financial fair play, and how it failed to give us more competitive soccer in Europe. Yeah, in fact, I would argue financial fair play gave us less competitive soccer in Europe. It, it, it locked in the top clubs because basically financial fair play, just in layman's terms, puts a cap on what you can spend based on your revenues. So which clubs have more revenues? The more successful historical clubs, the clubs that have uh, better uh, sponsorship deals, the clubs that have bigger stadiums, the clubs that have better uh, uh, rights deals with other things, with, with, uh, which sell more kits, etc. So, yeah, it's locked that in. And um, unfortunately, the one impact of the COVID break, we'll never know. But it looked like this might be the year Bayern or Juventus did not win their leagues. And in fact, I think what the COVID break did in Germany is it gave Hansi Flick uh, a couple of weeks to really kind of implement a new system, a new style uh, with Bayern. And you saw Thomas Müller and uh, and Leon Goretzka in particular. Those two players just elevate their games uh, upon the restart. And Bayern pulled away from, from Borussia Dortmund and, and Leipzig and the chasing pack. And uh, with uh, we're recording this on on Thursday, with Lazio's loss to Atalanta uh, uh, on Wednesday, uh, it looks like Serie A might be done too. And and this really looked like the year Juventus could get caught. Um, the closed-door match with Inter right as COVID was striking um, was maybe a match that would have gone the other way if there had been a crowd or there hadn't been a COVID crisis. So we'll never know. But yeah, it, it's uh, the, the, the lack of competition, in my opinion, is due more to financial fair play than anything else. Um, I know Bayern was a dominant club in Germany historically, but you saw years where Wolfsburg were winning titles. You saw a year where Stuttgart won a title. You saw a couple of years where Borussia Dortmund won a title. You saw a couple of years where Schalke and Werder Bremen pushed them uh, before uh, 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 financial fair play really kicked in. And, and that club was one of the great advocates of financial fair play, uh, Bayern. They were the ones in the media whose, uh, who, whose most prominent directors were campaigning openly for this and, and chastising the Chelsea's and Manchester cities of the world. So, yeah, Raymond, I completely agree with your comment. Yeah, the one thing, though, Kartik, is, is I, I wouldn't... Uh, I mean, Juve have not impressed me from what I've seen this far. So there's always the possibility that they might slip up. Uh, yeah. the, the challenge yeah. is that they play Lecce on, on Friday... And um, Lecce isn't the greatest of teams, so but but maybe perhaps a draw in that game, and, and then things are still opened up again. But- he looked really abject. You watched Coppa Italia; they looked bad yeah. in that Milan game, but yeah. so did Milan. But against Napoli, uh, how they got the penalties was amazing because the reality is Napoli battered them for most of the second half. And, and uh, I was surprised Gattuso was so aggressive with his tactics, but he could sniff uh, Juventus's vulnerability. They have not been impressive. They haven't been impressive all year. Quite honestly, Sarri uh, has a system, an attractive system of football, which doesn't really kind of fit the Juventus personnel. So it's, um, you know, maybe Sarri was just better off at a place like Chelsea where uh, Abramovich wanted those tactics or Napoli where he, he you know, he had the freedom to to, 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 to sign the players he wanted because uh, Juventus, they're, they're, their squad just doesn't fit what he's trying to do. Yeah, and speaking of um, Juve and uh, in the Champions League, I have to think of one more thing about the Champions League coverage and about all the big news that we broke. Uh, well, actually, Sports Business Daily broke yesterday, but we we're talking about it in depth in on this podcast is that... Um, you I mean you look at the Champions League on U.S. television, and you look at uh, the last year or so uh, on Fox Sports, where they knew that they had lost the rights to Turner, 
and then you go into the current deal and you know that uh, within a, a season and a few months after starting the Turner broadcast that they had lost their uh, rights on this one too and uh, rather than mailing it in in the final season they just decided to, to chuck it in and give it back to UEFA and now you have a, a season and a few games uh, up in the air which could be could be CBS if they pick it up it, it would be a smart move by them but it, it doesn't doesn't prevent any other broadcaster another broadcaster could come in and, and take it for a, a season and a few games um, and then you look at the next TV rights deal then under CBS, and CBS has it for, uh, I think it's three three years. And um, you look at it and think, okay, UEFA, maybe maybe this is the time to start thinking about having much longer deals in place because um, in order to have that continuity and have that excellent coverage um, and have, like, with the Premier League and NBC Sports doing a six-year deal, which allows them to put in more resources, more planning, more fan fests, more uh, trips to the UK to do, I mean, kind of on-site for a week or two interviews and all that stuff, all all the amount of investment that goes into it. I hope that UEFA looks at this and says, hey, you know I mean, I think we need to do these six-year deals because, yeah, those three-year deals are great as far as uh, – bringing in the money you mean, and hoping that those rights go up every three years, bigger and better, but let's hold out for a bigger deal. But uh, yeah, I just hope at the end of the day, Kartik, um, is that the UEFA Champions League and the UEFA Europa League on the English language side, that the coverage doesn't get um, basically uh, kind of a piss poor effort on this one. Because I mean, on the Spanish language side, I have full confidence Tudo NA and Univision and Unamas will, will cover the games and... Uh, their coverage will be excellent as it, as it has been. But the English language side is a big question mark, and I just hope that they, they don't screw it up, whoever takes uh, the rights on for this next year and some games. All right, cl- listeners, we want you to have your say. We, uh, I'm sure you have opinions and observations and questions and uh, probably angered by some of the things we've said or probably uh, want to uh, go a little bit deeper and, and, and uh, dive into some other topics. Uh, let us know. You can always reach us via email through web at worldsoccertalk.com as well as facebook.com slash worldsoccertalk and on Twitter at worldsoccertalk. Plus, of course, you can always always post your comments on worldsoccertalk.com. And Kartik, uh, heading into another weekend of football from around the world, um, you've got the NWSL that's back. You've got the Premier League title race, question mark, Serie A title race, question mark, Bundesliga on its final day of the regular season on Fox. Um, this is going to be the last weekend. Um, and the, the question mark about the whole relegation playoffs games and uh, Fox soccer match pass ending, ceasing business on June 30th, which is like, what, next Wednesday? A lot of question marks about where those games will end up uh, being shown, if they're shown at all. Man, there's so much going on, but uh, what should they do? Enjoy your football. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. 
Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.